Um, also, small groups are kicking off, and I hope that you will jump in. If you're not already in a small group, most are starting tonight. Um, some will start on Wednesday night, and we would love for you to take part. If you haven't signed up, you can do it a couple of ways. You can follow along on Version. All my notes that I'm sharing with you is on Version right now. Um, also, there are some links for you to sign up for stuff. If you want to take part, let us know. We'll get you connected, and we would love for you to, to be involved. Small group teaching is not lecture teaching. It is uh, where all are involved. And for the beginning of this semester, what all our groups are going to be doing is basically taking what we're talking about on Sunday mornings. And they've got some additional questions and some additional things to share with you. And you're going to just talk about what we've talked about. Because the parables, uh, are they are rich with much of what God wants us to see. Even today, I've got four pages of notes and a small amount of time. So we may actually spill over to next week. But I, there's no way to pull everything out of especially today's parable um, in just a few minutes we have together. But not only that... The ways that you would learn in the early church was not necessarily the way we learn today, where we're all sitting in rows, everybody's facing me. I get to see your beautiful faces until you fall asleep. I'm going to try to hang on to you as long as I can. But in the early church, people sat around tables, they ate, and they talked about Scripture. They talked about what they had heard Jesus teaching and what the apostles had taught in the synagogues. They talked about what they knew and they prayed together and they struggled to live this out together. And so that's part of what small groups are meant to be. It's a time for us to do life together, to sharpen each other, to struggle through the issues together, and to grow together. And so I want to encourage you, if you've signed up for a group, you, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just, just going to guarantee you in the next few weeks you're going to be tempted to skip your group every single night because you're going to get busy. You're going to get tired. You're going to have other things that are going on. It's going to be raining. The sun's going to be out. The sun's not going to be out. Any number of reasons. And you're going to be like, you know what? Let's just hang out at home. Let's just not do this. And I want to encourage you to be there and stay there. Show up every single week and I will tell you, as a, as a pastor uh, and as a group leader, Deidre and I, we constantly have said that we will, um, before the group starts, think, oh, I wouldn't mind having a night off. And yet, whenever the group comes and we spend time together, we wouldn't trade that for anything. It's just a beautiful time together. The enemy's going to try to get you to just check out. And let me tell you something, you are a vital part of your group. The group is not about the leader. The group is about you. So you, when you are there, you add to the group. The group becomes something more than it is when you're not there. I want to encourage you as you're getting involved and you're checking in that you truly commit to being a part of your small group. Your leader will be blessed by it. Your group will be blessed by it. And you will be blessed by it as well. All right. So if you haven't signed up and you want to, um, now's the time. Uh, Sign up online. We'll make sure that you get plugged in. All right. Okay. We're going to begin our parable today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Now, occasionally we go through these types of teachings, and I have to give the disclaimer that you need to forget everything you've ever heard about this. That doesn't mean I'm going to go in a completely different direction, and everyone who's ever taught about this parable is wrong. It means that what we tend to do with the parables is that we take for face value the easy, low-lying fruit at the bottom of the tree, rather than digging deeper to see what God is really saying to us. This is 
certainly true of the parable of the prodigal son because even people who don't go to church know the parable of the prodigal son, right? Everybody has heard this parable. And you've probably already determined what I'm going to talk about. Some of you are parents and you're already convinced that I'm going to be talking about what happens when you have wayward children. We should have you know, kicked off this morning with a little bit of Kansas, right? Carry on my wayward son. We could have done that this morning. Maybe we'll do that next week just as a follow-up, right? Some of you are thinking that's what we're going to talk about today. Others of you are going to be talking about the prodigal son. You're going to think, you know, the prodigal son, that's what it's all about. We really need to hear about the prodigal son, and he's going to turn back to the father. And yet the truth is, is that usually in this parable, we don't take away what is most important. We take often away from the parables what is easiest to digest and what feels the least convicting. And that's how we read scripture in general, isn't it? We really love the passages that we do well. We really like to avoid the passages that convict us. And when we come to the parables, they're not just that easy way that Jesus was trying to teach like we often think the parables are. Instead, Jesus said consistently, if you have ears to hear, you will hear. And if you have eyes to see, you will see. But if you do not, you will miss what I'm saying. Now, thankfully, even the disciples at times struggled to understand and would have to go to Jesus after a parable and say, can you explain this to us? We don't get it either. And so if that's you this morning, you've always been in good company. But I want you to join me, Luke chapter 15. Let's just read the parable together, and then I want us to walk through this um, this morning. Verse 11, and he said, this is Jesus, beginning with verse 11, said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and excuse me, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked that these things, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you 
And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who was de- has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you have taught us not only through your word, but through the lives of your followers. And I pray that we would hear what you are saying. We would be able to see what you are sharing. And Father, we would be able to follow you in all the ways you call us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is one of the longer parables. But the story is pretty straightforward. The story is, for the most part, a man who has amassed some level of wealth, has two sons, and the younger son has decided that he really doesn't like the life he's living. He wants to go live a different life, demands his inheritance for which his father agrees, gives him his half. The older son sticks around, continues to work, probably taking up also the work of the younger son, while the younger son runs off, squanders his money, and then he decides he wants to come back and falls into the gracious forgiveness and love of his father. A party is thrown, the older brother is angry, and the father then shares why he wanted to share this celebration with him. So as we go through this story, and I were to ask you who is the most important character in this story, what do you think most people would say? Jesus. Okay, whoever went straight to Jesus, you uh, that's like, you know, there's no answer to that. Everything's about Jesus, right? All right, so you're right. It's about Jesus. What else? The father, the son, which son? The younger son. I mean, it's named after the younger son, right? The prodigal son, right? Or is it about the older son? Or is it about all three? Or is it about not really them? Is it about us, right? Or is it really just about God? What is it all really about? Now, the parable is often taught with the slant towards parents who have children that have walked away from their teaching and have chosen to leave their faith. And it is a call to hope for parents that have wayward children, right? That's often how we hear the parable. And in no way do I want to say that that is not embedded in this parable. However, if that is the only thing we take from it, I'm telling you, you are missing more of what Jesus wants to say to you and what Jesus wants to say to me. There's so much more to this story than just about the prodigal. In fact, I'm going to guess most of the people in this room can relate to the prodigal in some way, but there's someone else we relate to more. So as we go through this, basically what I want to do is go through each of the three characters, and then I want to pull it back together and see what does that say to us. Let me also say this. The prodigal son is not a story about sin. Sin is involved. It's not about the prostitutes. It's not about the squandering. It's not about the sin in your life. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about sin in your life. The point is not about sin The story is a difference between what it means to be lost and what it means to be found. Sin's a part of that equation, right? But the story itself is not really about sin. That's that's inconsequential to the meaning of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Instead, he's talking about separation 
from the Father, separation from His family, what it means to be lost or be in the far country. Has anyone ever felt within their life that they're living in the far country? Anybody been there? I've been there. I I sometimes feel like I'm in the far country. You know, being in the far country does not mean that you've gone a long distance away. But it means you feel all alone, right? You feel like you're all by yourself. You feel like you're just kind of trudging along and you don't have anybody there with you. The far country is a difficult place. It's talking about the separation from being the body of Christ. And one of the bigger pictures that we can grasp from this teaching is the whole idea of what it looks like to have unmet desires and unfulfilled hopes and dreams. Because my guess is that some of you in this room, right now, in this moment, have unfulfilled hopes and dreams. Is that a stretch? Probably not. Some of you thought when you were younger that your life was going to look a certain way when you were older, and guess what? It doesn't. As the time ticks away, you begin to think, maybe it will never look the way that I hoped. Some of you have big hopes and dreams right now for your life, and you are so focused on those. That is the driving force, and you cannot wait to realize what they are, whether it be family or career or ministry or whatever it is. You are working hard, hard, hard to get to that place. If we're going to understand the parable, we do need to understand, again, the context. Remember? So much of what we learn in Scripture it focuses on context. We've got to understand what's being said around it. So if we look at chapter 15 from the beginning, we, we see Jesus was in the middle of explaining God's relentless pursuit of the lost. All right? This is what we see leading up to the parable of the prodigal son. And the first two verses, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's an interesting image. You can take out the words tax collector and sinner And whoever you think the dregs of society are, that's who was gathering around. The people that you think, you know what, they are just no good, no count. They ought not be in the church. They don't love Jesus. Their lives don't mimic what it looks like to follow him. Those are the ones that are gathering around Jesus right at this moment. As the Pharisees begin to circle and begin to see this. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners. And eats with them. Now in the context of that question, that this is what's happening around him, Jesus actually tells two very quick parables before he gets to the parable of the prodigal son. And if we follow that, we see in verses 3 through 7, this is the parable of the 99 and the 1. Who, having a hundred sheep and ninety-nine are there with them, does not leave the ninety-nine to go after the one. Which feels very good when you're the one. And at times within the church, feels very unsettling when you're the 99. Right? He follows up that parable with the next parable of the widow who was very poor and had lost a coin. Her All that she had, and she searched all through the house until she found it. And when she found it, she had great joy. Immediately following those verses, we pick up with the prodigal son. So the context of this parable is in the context of God seeking 
you. God seeking me. God seeking the lost, the sinner, the tax collector, the prostitute, the politician, the fill in the blank. God seeking us. And what we see over and over in these parables is that God is seeking the lost and He's rejoicing over those who are found. Now I debated on what order should we go through the three people because you know there, there is a way to lay out the story but I wanted to begin with the Father because I want to end with the Father too. I think the Father is one of, if not the central person of this story. The younger son and the older son really are just there to tell the story of the father, even though we so many times read the parable that this is about the son, the prodigal. This is really all about him, but really this is all about the father. And as we look at the father, what we see is a man who has gained wealth, who has built a life, and is going to have a large inheritance to leave his children. Now, I don't know what that's like. My kids aren't going to know what that's like either, right? Amen? Anybody with me? And so he's asked to take what he has earned and what he has and give it to him now. I don't know what that's like, but I imagine it's got to be one of the most breaking things for you to be looked at by your child and to be summed up wholly based on what you have to give them. Give it to me now. I want nothing left to do with you. I want to go my own way. And yet the father grants the request. He divvies at the inheritance. He gives the younger son his half. He gives the older son his half. And that leaves the father with... Very questionable, right? What does he have? If he's divvied up everything that he has, everything that he has amassed, everything he has built in his life, he has now given away. We look at the father. We see a man that is not angry and is not bitter. But we look at a man who all that we know is happening in, in the younger son's life, in the prodigal's life, he's out looking for him. We know that the prodigal, when he does decide to come home, the father is watching. And he says when he's a long way off, he sees him. Now, the only way you see something that's a long way off is that you're looking. You don't see things that are a long way off unless you're intently trying to find something. Now, I know that's true. Because when I'm driving on a trip, I have inherited a terrible trait from my father. My father's not here. I can talk about him. He's going to be watching this and calling me later this week because my mom did last week after I talked about her. So just so you know, every time I talk about a family member, because of you people, it reaches them. They watch or listen, and then they call me. So anyways, I have a terrible trait I've inherited from my dad, and that is that when I'm driving, I like to see what else is going on. Does anybody else do this? Wow, look at that barn. Now, while I'm doing this, and I'm really looking at all these interesting things, like, look at those cows. You know, I don't know what it is about a cow that can draw anyone's attention, because they're not all that interesting. They don't do that. It's not like they're doing flips out in the field. They're just sitting there looking at you, eating. And, but, you know, everybody's got to look at the cows. And so I'm constantly scanning, and it gets more difficult as we go, because then there's someone in my ear that's constantly telling me, what am I looking at? You know, and that would be Deidre. What are you looking at? You're scaring me to death. You're just like your father, which never works out well. That's never the beginning of a good conversation, right? (laughs) Never the beginning of a good conversation. 
But I'm like, I'm just look, I just look at all this stuff around here, which in all honesty, if you're learning to drive, some of you teenagers don't follow my example. This is not a good thing to do. But in reality, most of us live life just looking for the things that are immediately in front of us, not the things that are far off like the father. But that's what he's doing. He's looking far off because the son who has hurt him in many ways is still the apple of his eye. The father loves him. The father cares for him. The father's waiting for him. The father's looking for him. In verse 21, it says, when the son finally shows up, this is what it says about the father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate And this is what he says when the older son comes to him. Son said to him, excuse me, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I just read that, that, didn't I? All right, I messed up my notes here. And as he says to the older son in verse um, 30, but when his son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. This is a picture of a father who loves. Picture of a father who doesn't see possession as something to grasp. Instead, all that I have is yours. I want to come back to that. So as we look to the Father, as we look at what the Father is saying and what the Father is doing, the Father is the picture of God who loves you and gave His life for you. The giving of the inheritance is the giving of His Son for us. As we look through then the sons, we come to the prodigal. And there's much to learn from the prodigal. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are the prodigal. Unfortunately, even if you're a father of Jesus, sometimes we're the older son. As we look at the prodigal, we look at why did he want to leave? And this is, this is the number one reason that people walk away from their faith, that walk away from Christ, walk away from the church. This is the number one reason exactly why the prodigal did. Because he looked at the life that he was living and he determined that it was not enough. There was work to be done. The father owned it. The son didn't. Everything was about the father, not about him. And we look at the prodigal. What the prodigal is doing is he's leaving because he wanted to be free to live life his way. And you cannot follow Jesus and live life your way. You cannot do it. In fact, most of the working out of your salvation is the process of dying to yourself so that you're not trying to live life your way, right? It's not easy. Anyone who takes seriously the fact of dying to yourself and following Jesus finds it can be incredibly hard, at least in the beginning, until you begin to grasp the glory of what you receive because of it. But for him, he always knew a better way. 
He had a better way of living and things were good and he knew some people that lived out in the far country and they were living the life and they were having a good time and they were happy and he wanted to do that. How many times have we lived our lives seeking after our own personal freedom rather than just seeking God? I would say a lot. It's one of the challenges of my life. I know it's one of the challenges of your life. And what we see in the prodigal son is the reality for all of us, and that is that running away from God feels like absolute freedom, but it leads to absolute misery. It feels like freedom when we say, God, I'm not going to follow your ways. I'm not going to follow your rules. I'm not going to follow the things that you are telling me to do. I'm not going to make you the most important thing. Instead, I know what I want things to be. Now, that's easy when we look at somebody that absolutely rejects God and says, I will believe nothing about him. I will have nothing to do with him. In that scenario, it's very easy to see how the prodigal just walks away and pursues freedom. What's not so easy are for those of us that are somewhere in between whenever we say we are following Jesus, but in reality, we're following Jesus because we think he's the key to get us what we really want. And when we think that Jesus will give us what we really want, Jesus becomes that tool that we use, just like the Son used the Father, give me all that is due me so I can live my life the way I want. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place for us in the church today. It's hard to tell. And I don't just mean it's hard to tell when I'm looking at your lives. It's hard to tell when I look at my life, right? Because we, we are terribly good at distracting ourselves from the truth of our own hearts. We can hide it. We can make up stories about how we really got it and we understand it. We can manipulate ourselves better than we can manipulate anybody else. But the reality for the prodigal is that he thought if I could have things my way, do everything my way, I could be the king of my kingdom, I could be the God of my world, then it would give me absolute freedom. And instead it brought him absolute misery. I, I saw a, uh, a video I wanted to share with you. I thought this perfectly illustrates the prodigal son. You may not get it right away, but follow along with me. Check this out. Some of you have already seen it. Hershey's cocoa. He's certain it's going to be the best thing he's ever had in his life. Keeps telling his mom, I want it. She says no. Finally gives it to him. My freedom, I have it. It gets better. Wait, wait for it. There it is. Still coming. Yeah. (laughs) all right all right now he's done okay i mean what's just taking me 15 minutes to share with you you just saw in 30 seconds right this is the picture of the prodigal i know what i want i know what is best just give it to me mom gives it to him and there's immediate regret this is a picture of the prodigal I probably, a similar video could have been made of me when I was a kid. And the reason that this is what happens, the reason that misery follows our pursuit of freedom, 
is because it's really impossible to live our lives this way. We're going to follow something. We're going to worship something. Something is going to to capture our hearts. We're going to fall in love with it, and we're going to want it to love us back. Now, that may be a person, that may be an idea, that may be a status in life, but there is something that we all want. We want to be put on a pedestal. We want other people to go, look how great a person they are. Look how successful they are. Look how much they get God. And yet what they're pursuing is something completely different that always will disappoint and always leads to misery. And for the prodigal, his response was, if I just go back and just can go work for the Father, then I can at least eat. I can at least be happy. I can at least be content. Verse 16 and 17, this is what it says. He says, he was longing to be fed with the paws that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Because you know what happened here? There's a famine after he runs out of money. Not only is there no one there to help take care of him, there's a whole lot of other people that need to be taken care of too. And he's hungry. Verse 17, when he came to himself, I love this, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. When he came to himself, When he woke up, when he actually saw with some clarity, when he came back to seeing who he really was, not who he daydreamed about being, he daydreamed about going home to be with the Father. When he came to himself, now would he have come to that place if there hadn't been a famine? I don't know. If there hadn't been a famine, everyone else was doing well, he probably could have begged for a while. You know, I'm guessing that if I took my inheritance and squandered it, it would be hard to show my face back at home. I would do anything I could to get by so I didn't have to go face the shame that I had messed up because my whole premise was I know how to live better than you and I've messed it all up. What I have found, and this is one of the truths of of following Jesus that we talk about often here because it's something that we don't often hear outside of these walls. And that God often sends a famine when he is trying to get your attention. There are lots of books being written about how a good God actually doesn't allow bad things to happen. In all reality, God often causes bad things to happen. So good things, better things will happen as well. God often sends a famine when he's trying to get your attention. Now let me ask you this. In the eyes of the prodigal, is this a grace or is this a punishment. See, every time we're in the midst of our own famine after we've messed up and we've gone our own way, we view it as a punishment. We can look back on the story and what's going on and we can see that this is a grace because this led to reconciliation with the Father. But when we're in the moment, when we're in the suffering and in the hurt, when we're evacuating in our house, is not one that didn't get damaged, but instead it's completely destroyed. We look at that and we think, what have I done to deserve this? And what Jesus would say, just as the Father would say to him, the famine is a blessing and a gift of grace because it leads you somewhere else, somewhere better. 
And so when we understand suffering, we don't understand that suffering is only for those who haven't followed Jesus well. Suffering is for those who follow Jesus well so we can follow Jesus more fully. This is what James is saying. Count it all a joy when you experience trials of all kinds because this is what perfects your faith, makes you whole and complete. So the joy is not the trial. The joy is what the trial does within us. And as we look at the prodigal, this is what he's experiencing. What we also find in the parable, which is so true, and we often see, and we need to remember this morning, is that repentance is the key to being restored with the Father. Always, it is repentance. You cannot come back to the Father with a stiff neck. Brokenness is a gift of compassion because it bows our knees before the one who can ultimately give us everything we ever really wanted, which is him. We can't come with a stiff neck to God. In fact, those who come with a stiff neck towards God are those like the religious leaders who Jesus says one day will come in heaven and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. We cannot come with a stiff neck before God, only with a heart of repentance. So the things in your life that are breaking you at this moment, God has a purpose for those. It's not for your pain. There's a purpose. God is doing something. He's leading you somewhere. It is a gift of compassion when we understand where they lead. Verses 18 and 20 say, I will rise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. If you know Jesus Christ, this is what has already happened in your life. If you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, this is what can happen in your life. The father is looking over the expanse of your life from a long way off. He sees what's going on in your life and he is waiting and watching and ready to embrace you. This is the gift that the father is offering to the prodigal. And the prodigal demonstrates the life of someone who was lost and is now found. Who was in the far country and is now home. Who was living for his own freedom and now is walking with the father again. You know, the sad thing is that he already had all that. But he had to go figure this out on his own. That's, that's my story, my life story. You can tell me the absolute truth, but I have to figure it out myself. Anybody else like that? Ask my parents. That's why I was a frustrating one in my family. My parents let me know that I was a frustrating one in my family. Appreciate that from them always. I have to figure things out for myself. I got to go do it. I got to try it. You tell me that's true, but I got to go live it first. And I can tell you, That's an adventurous way to live life, and it is a hard way to live life. He already had all that. He had to go learn all this himself. The prodigal is a picture of the coming to the end of yourself, realizing that Jesus is everything you ever wanted. I don't mean that shiny thing that comes under a Christmas tree. I mean, he's better than that. That shiny thing that comes under a Christmas tree, that is meant as a band-aid to give us what we don't feel like we have, which is all of Jesus. That's what we were created for. That's what we were put in this world for. That's what Jesus is calling us to. That's what heaven is going to be. That's why you can experience heaven now. Not just when you die or are raptured or however that's going to work out. 
can experience it now because Jesus loves you now. He's here with you now. He's everything you really ever wanted now. What if Jesus was your greatest treasure? What if you didn't just long for something else? I just need something else in my life to make it full and whole. And instead you realize Jesus is everything I ever wanted. That would completely change the way we live our lives 24-7. It would completely change it if we did not live our lives constantly searching for something else. Well, if I just get to where my schedule is easier, I think this all the time. If I can just get to the place where we're in a financial place where we don't have to worry about anything happening, then it'll be, it will be okay. I think about that all the time. If I can just get to this place in my career where I'm comfortable and I know it's leading to a place of retirement and I know the trajectory, the, the, the trajectory of my life from now until death is set, I'll be okay. And what Jesus is saying to us is, listen, none of that stuff matters. None of that stuff is guaranteed. I am all you need. What if you lived every life like he was all you actually needed? And you didn't worry about money. You didn't worry about clothes. You didn't worry about the shiny things under the Christmas tree. You didn't worry about what was parked in the driveway or where you laid your head at night just as long as you were covered. You know, you, you, what if you didn't worry about any of that stuff? What if when bad things happen, you were like, you know what, God's got this. I'm still walking with Jesus. How would that change your day-to-day life and the way that you lived and the way that you interacted with people? Because I imagine if we were all truly at peace with God, we would be more at peace with other people. Because we would have the ultimate peace. All right, we got to go. We got to keep going. Got to keep going. The older son. If you're not in a small group, you are going to talk about this in your group. So sign up for a group. The older son. Here's the reality of the older son. The older son is usually overlooked. And he's actually the picture of many of us. He's just kind of window dressing to complete a story and to demonstrate how much the father wants to celebrate the prodigal because really the story is about the prodigal, right? For some of us in the room and for me today, the story is about the, the, the older brother because I find in myself many times I'm the older brother. I didn't leave. I'm there. I'm dutiful. I'm doing my job. I'm doing his job. I'm doing everything right. Where's my part? Where's God for me? I get that God is gracious to those who are lost and he wants them to be found. But what about us who are found? We're in the 99 who he's leaving. See, many of us in the church, we struggle with being the older brother. This is the story of the older brother. Now, his older son was in the field. He's working. He's got a lot of work to do because the younger son's not there working. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calves because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he, the father, said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. As we look at this story, 
We see that the older son was dutiful and he worked hard. He never delayed in doing his job. What we find is the older son was resentful and unforgiving of his younger brother who had screwed up his life all on his own and affected everybody else. It's all his fault. The older son also felt that the father owed him for being such a good son. Now, I know none of you, this is not a part of your prayer time. God, I am such a good follower of yours. I just want you to know how good a follower I am. You know, we've already done a, we've already done a parable about this. Do you remember which one it was? It was the rich man and Lazarus. Remember that? Lazarus was on his knees in the synagogue praying, Oh, God, forgive me, a sinner. And the rich man was over next to him going, Oh, God, thank you that I am not like him. That's the older brother. That's me. That's you. That's us. Not always. I find the times that I'm the prodigal are the times when I'm struggling with my own junk. Because when I'm struggling with my own junk, I see the graciousness of God to forgive me. When I'm the older brother, there are a few things that happen when I'm the older brother. I'm the older brother when I'm working hard and I'm not sure anyone else is. Right? That happens all the time in the church. It's easy to stand up and say, look at all I'm doing. What are you doing? You know, the second time when I tend to be the older brother is, doesn't have to have anything to do with church. It's when I'm overwhelmed. Somebody else get overwhelmed in the room? You got too much stuff to handle on your plates? Anybody? When I get overwhelmed, I start getting angry with God. Why? Because I'm looking for somebody to blame for the state of feeling overwhelmed. Now, if you want to feel overwhelmed, and I know if you've got young kids, you know what it feels like to be overwhelmed. If you've got older kids, you know what it feels like to be overwhelmed, right? If your kids are grown and moved off, my parents tell me, you know what it's like to feel overwhelmed. I don't believe them yet, but I'm not there. They've been right about everything else, so they're probably right about that too. But your jobs can make you overwhelmed. That house that you found, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fix this place up. You know, Deidre and I have done that a few times. Never again. Never again. We're going to fix this place up. We can get overwhelmed with being spiritual, can't we? I've not done my Bible reading in two days, and I've got people following me on YouVersion, and they see I've not read my Bible in two days. What are they thinking about me? Where am I, when am I going to have time to read? I've got to get it in. I'm just going to say I read it even though I didn't. I'll come back and read it later, but at least they'll see the notification that said I did my Bible reading today. You can get overwhelmed. What happens when the famine comes that is orchestrated by God intentionally to make you overwhelmed? in those moments that I tend to be the older brother. And I want to say, look what I'm doing down here. Do you see how hard I'm working? God says, well, I never told you to do that. (laughs) Not ever what I asked you to do. I never asked you to work yourself to death. 
Yeah, but we got to do all these things in order to please you. Uh, where do you read that? When have I ever said that? See, it's easy to become the older brother. The older son is the picture of the religious and the self-righteous. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere in the church. We look down at others because we have reached a level of righteousness on our own that they haven't attained and we judge them for it. See, it's so easy to look at a group of people and pick out who we like and who we don't like. Now, you can pick out people that just don't even have anything to do with God. And you can label that group whoever you want it to be. There's lots of people, demographics, we can just assume is in that group. And then there's people within the church that can also, we can assume is in that group. You know, I see how they live their lives outside of here. I mean, I've heard so many people say, you know what? I know people who go to church and I know how they live their lives and, and, and they're worse than me. Why would I want to follow Jesus? You know, self-righteousness is a battle for all of us. It's when we want to believe we get it and nobody else does, but really, really we want them to know that. I want you to know that I get it and you don't. Self-righteousness destroys relationships, causes people to leave Jesus, and it gives you a false sense of community with Christ when there is no community with Christ through self-righteousness. The only community of Christ is through a righteousness that only comes through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way to have community with Jesus Christ. The only way that we are with the Father is through Jesus Christ. The gift for us was Christ, not our own ability to follow the law. This is what I want to leave you with today. I want you to wrestle this week with a question in your groups. I want you to wrestle in your groups with this question. Was the famine grace or punishment? I've given you a two and a half minute understanding of why it's grace and not punishment. But in the real world of how we live out struggle within our own lives, it can't be done in two and a half minutes. This is a great discussion to have with other people. As you look at these two sons, I want you to ask the question, which son experienced the deepest grace of the father? Was it the prodigal who came to a place of repentance and came home? Or was it the older son who felt that he was, had some kind of righteousness of his own accord? He had worked hard for this. And yet the father said, all that I have is yours. I believe this is what Revelation three fifteen and 16 is saying. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I believe it is the tent that what he's talking about here is the desire to be self-righteous without bowing before Christ. He is not the greatest treasure. He is just a tool for us to get what we really want. And he's saying, I want you to be on fire in your faith with me and understand I am everything you could ever want. Perhaps you, if you're going through a famine, your famine is actually God's grace to kindle a hot faith in you so you can experience what is true. I leave all this with you, asking you also the question, which son are you? There are some days I'm the prodigal. There are some days 
I'm the older son. There are some days I think I'm the father, if I'm quite honest with you. And I think I am ruling my own kingdom here, which Jesus loves because then he swoops in and knocks my feet out from under me and laughs. I mean, I can't promise he laughs. I just a picture he does, though, in the moments that I think I'm the father and I'm the farthest thing from it. But which son are you? Like right now, which son are you? Or are you the prodigal before repentance? I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure I believe this. I think what I want to leave with you today is what I believe are the most important words in this parable. All that is mine is yours. God is saying that to you. Not just to him. He's saying it to you. All that I am, all that I have, all that makes me who I am is yours. Jesus describes it this way and, and that we are part of his kingdom. He describes it in the way that we are his brothers and sisters. We are children of God. We are part of the family. All that I have is yours. What if every freedom, every desire, every hope, every dream, everything you're shooting for, every purpose you've driven your life around, everything you're, you're investing in, everything you're trying to make happen, what if all of that stuff that you're trying to do, you're trying to fill a hole that God has already said, I am all you need to fill that hole. You don't need all this other stuff. I'm not saying you don't need to work a job, but what if he is everything? And what would it look like to live life as if all that is God is yours? How would your life look different? This morning, if you'd like to pray with someone, I want to let you know that we do have some, uh, a prayer team that's available in the, in the back that can pray with you. You can come up and pray up front. If you have a prayer request you'd like to give, you can do that on version, and it will go. You can give as much information or as little as you want. Someone will be praying for you. They meet Sunday night, so we'll be praying for you tonight. I don't know which son you are. If you're the older son... I pray that God would give you just a, a, an understanding of his compassion and his grace, his love and what he's calling you to. If you're the prodigal and you've received Christ, you are in a beautiful place of recognizing the great gift of being accepted into the family. If you're, you've already left, you're in the far country right now. I pray that you'll come to the place you can experience the great gift of Christ in your own life and realize that God is offering to you everything that he has is yours. Pray with me, Father. God, I thank you for the grace you've given us in all of the ways that we have failed, in all of the times that we have taken control, we have done things our way. God, I pray that you would remind us of your compassion, the gift of your love, and all the things that you have done around us, for us, all the events you've orchestrated to lead us back to you, for the famines that we've had to endure, for the times that we have suffered in trying to pursue our own freedoms only to realize that you are the thing that we really wanted. Pray that you would be our, our great treasure within our lives, the coin that was lost and is found, the, the one sheep that is lost but is found. I pray that you would be the treasure that we would sell everything so we can buy the field where the treasure lays. You'd be our pearl of great price. Father, help us to experience your grace and your compassion in a way that is so overwhelming that we don't have the tendency or the... We don't have even the temptation 
to think we're the father or to be the older brother, but that we can live peacefully and contently in the reality that we are your children. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.